the Bavada at Odds podcast. My name is Seth Everett. I'm joined by the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow, as we break down the latest odds in all the major sports. NFL week to week as the playoffs are upon us, we'll break down the latest odds plus the futures. It's the Bavada at Odds podcast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Sports MLB Show. Here are your hosts, the luckiest men on the face of the earth, Chase Fedorsky and Bryce Holden. Welcome to episode 120 of the Underdog Sports Baseball Show. My usual co-host, Bryce Holden, as we mentioned last week, is making the journey up to the mecca known as Camp Scatico that I recently returned from. Uh, so in his place, uh, we have a longtime listener of the show, a uh, longtime friend of the show, one of the few people who I would say rivals me in this world in terms of baseball nuttiness. Uh, you can also catch him. What's the name of the podcast? Do the shameless plug. So it, it's recently got changed. It's now that it's out of here podcast. So uh, yeah, take a listen. Only a few episodes deep though. So all you Met fans, listen to our guest host uh, probably for the next two weeks or until whenever Bryce gets back from camp. There is no firm expiration date uh, on that. Uh, Jack Heineman, pleasure to have you on the Underdog Sports Baseball Show uh, after a long time. And I will go on the record and say this is a long overdue guest appearance. Well, thank you finally for having me, Chase. I do think I have been mentioning for quite some time now to get on here, but I'm glad it finally happened and look forward to the next few weeks. Who knows how long Bryce will be, but we'll see. Here's the thing. You know, when we've had guests for the most part, it was talking about baseball movies and it felt cheap to have you on for baseball movies. You're more of the guy who I could talk actual baseball for the next hour with rather than the fucking bench warmers to breaking balls. Yeah. I mean, movies could have enjoyed that, but I rather just talk baseball and I know me and you, if you've ever been on a Cooper's Township with me and Chase, it's something else. So this will be fun for the next hour. A lot of nice Jewish kids out there who have uh, had that exact experience, in fact. Exactly. Um, we will get to our BovadaSportsBook.com picks of the week in a second. Um, but first, I have to bring up, I told uh, Jack's brother, Matt, is one of my oldest and closest friends. And, um, you know, a little backstory on Matt. You know, once upon a time, he would call me up to talk pretty much exclusively the Grateful Dead, but that has since shifted into talking about the Mets. Um, and anytime I know, and we'll, I, we'll get to the news and discuss it towards the end of the show, that Jacob deGrom is on the injured list, I know that I am about to get an earful um, from Matt. Uh, he basically takes the side, which I agree with on some level, that starting pitchers are paid $30 million in the case of deGrom, uh, and that he's being a little bit of a softie. Uh, and his exact words were, my uh, brother Jack, and my father, Steve, thinks he is like Jesus Christ, except Jesus walked on water. Jacob deGrom didn't. Uh, so I will give you the chance to respond. Uh, what do you think of your brother's comments? And I guess deGrom, I'm not going to say injury proneness, but the fact that deGrom has been on the injury injured list a couple times this year and what has been a historic season thus far. Yeah, so deGrom and the Mets themselves are a very hot topic between me, my brother, Matt, and my dad. I'd like to think my brother is an ultimate pessimist and I'm a huge optimist, at least when it comes to the Mets. Um, 
I don't know if I'd label him injury prone, but this season has been a little concerning with the Grom. He did say like he hasn't really been able to get off on a strict schedule, especially from the start of the season. The Mets had so many rainouts and with COVID. Um, I do. I mean, Jesus Christ. I don't know if I'd go that far, but Jacob Degrom is unbelievable to watch. It is annoying that like every other st- not every other start, but like it seems like every few weeks now it's some little thing with injury. But um, I don't really know. I think. They, they're anticipating they're going to be in October, or at least that's the hope. So I think they got to do anything they can to keep them healthy. Unfortunately, if this keeps them out for a few weeks, it probably takes them out of the MVP running. But Matthew, he was texting me and my dad, and a lot of times you just have to ignore his arguments, but he was saying the Steinbrenners wouldn't put up with this. And my, my argument was, like, what would they do, trade them? Like, you're not trading Jacob DeGrom. And what you're saying, pitchers can be overpaid, but DeGrom is probably one of the best bargain uh, contracts there is for a pitcher in all of baseball. So at least for him, you can't really make that argument. All right. I got a couple thoughts with that. The first response is uh, the Steinbrenners wouldn't have done a thing about it. Uncle Stevie's spending more money than uncle Hal right now. Uh, and two, yeah, me and Bryce have talked about it on the podcast um, for all of Brody Van Wagenen's warts as GM of the New York Mets. DeGrom is making what 27 and a half a year, which mm-hmm. I mean, Garrett Cole is frequently talked about in the discussion as best pitcher in baseball as a fellow New York ace. Even as a Yankee fan, I have no problem admitting Cole makes $36 million a year and is not nearly the pitcher Jacob DeGrom is. Uh, so Brody's parting gift, as much as the Cano and Diaz trade may have crippled the franchise, he did get DeGrom to sign what in hindsight was a very below market deal. Yeah, I mean, you said it perfectly. He had a very poor tenure with the Mets as GM, but somehow, it, and I think it should be noted. It was not just like a solid move. It was an unbelievable extension. And that was, I think, coming off his first Cy Young in 2018. So he was still still like a top pitcher in the game at that time. I don't think you would have expected him to become the clear best pitcher in all of baseball as he is right now. But uh, Brody did at least leave that. Um, you know, he did have a, like you said, the Cano Diaz trade will probably be what he's known best for. But this is something that he actually did do a good job with. So I'll is. ask you, I'll ask you one more question about the Grom. Cause you mentioned the MVP race, you know, for me, uh, pitchers winning the MVP is a strange thing. And Bryce and I spoke about this last week, you know, if the Grom kept these numbers up, you'd almost have to give him the MVP because if the Grom didn't win it this year, at, at that point, it becomes a pitcher should never win the MVP. Then, um, you know, personally, I think the year Fernando Tatis Jr. is having, he's probably my front runner for the MVP right now. Um, but all that said, DeGrom is at 92 innings pitched uh, this season. And, you know, DeGrom's obviously on another level, but you do have pitchers in the NL, Woodruff and Burns in Milwaukee, Kevin Gausman is making his return tonight in San Francisco, who in a normal year would be the overwhelming front runner for the NL Cy Young Award. Do you mentally, I guess, even as a Mets fan, have a rough quota or ballpark for what the minimum number of innings DeGrom needs to throw with these historic numbers to be considered even in the Cy Young race? Well, that's a good point because getting 200 innings pitched is not nearly as common these days and not something that that used to be a big deal back in the day. Now with all the pitching, uh, the innings limits, it's not really something that's reached that often. Um, I'd still like, so what, I guess he was at, you said 92? Um, so if he's at 92 and that was the Mets, since they played such few games, that was around 50% of the season right before the all-star break. So that would put him at one, uh, 180 around there, but it's hard to 
base it off the first 50 half of the season. You know, if he got to 180, I'm, I'm happy with that. But it's he has. If you look at a lot of pitchers, there's a lot of pitchers with more in, with more innings than him in baseball. But and a lot of people will text me he doesn't pitch enough. He doesn't go deep into games, and I I, I don't think they're right at all. Um, the Grom actually with the most. I think the most amazing stat about him. He has the least amount of pitches per inning of any pitcher in, in baseball this year, which is just amazing just of, because of how many people he strikes out. But if you go through start by start, there's so many starts that he didn't pitch deep into games because, as you mentioned, he's gotten so many little minor injuries throughout the year. So if he left a game early after three – he left, he's left a few games early because of injury, and then they'll bring him back then five days later, and they'll try and ease him into it, throw five or six innings, stuff like that. So I think it's more the innings don't look great on paper, but if you watch game to game, it's not, Oh, DeGrom was at 80 pitches, six innings. They decided to take him out. A lot of it was injury based that they're be careful with him. As someone who takes the DeGrom over in strikeouts, every single start, I get that uh, problem and paradox all too well. Uh, for me, my arbitrary number is 150 innings pitched. I think if you're a starting pitcher and you throw below that, um, you shouldn't be in consideration for the awards race. And uh, we will transition from that into our, Bovada picks of the week. Uh, the first game, uh, this is actually a game between two teams that aren't in contention, but I like the pitching matchup. Kyle Gibson, all-star going for the Rangers in Detroit against Casey Mize for the Tigers. And Bovada has this at plus one and a half, plus 145, minus 111 for the Rangers, plus one and a half, minus 165, minus 109 for the Tigers. Uh, Gibson Mize in Detroit. Who do you like in this one? Uh, I bet, you know, I think he's someone who'll be on the move, but I've been a big Kyle Gibson fan all year. Um, Mize, you know, he's young and exciting, but Gibson's been great. And obviously he's probably got a starter two left with the Rangers. So I'd go with the Rangers here, but uh, this should be a good pitching matchup. What do you think here, Chase? I also like the Rangers. I like Gibson minus 111, and uh, I could use a very good start for my fantasy team coming off the all-star break. And transitioning from one all-star on my fantasy team to another, uh, Kevin Gausman making his return from the family emergency list. Uh, his first start of the second half as he competes for the Cy Young. He's pitching in Los Angeles, Battle of NL West Titans. Uh, Gausman for the Giants, Tony Gonsolin on the mound for the Dodgers in Los Angeles, plus one and a half, minus 185, plus 117 for the Giants, minus one and a half, plus 165, minus 137 for the Dodgers. Uh, I actually did bet on this game. I like the Giants plus 117. Buster Posey's coming back. Gausman's been great. And Gonsolin just ultimately hasn't been going very deep in games. I mean, I think the Giants definitely have the pitching matchup, uh, in their favor here. I just, it's hard to find the Dodgers being, what are they, a minus 135 money line at home. So I do think that being at home, um, more just, you don't really get this opportunity often because of that. I think I'm going to go with the Dodgers. I mean, the Giants, they're, they've been the most interesting team in baseball. I don't think they're going to slow down. I think we've all been waiting for it all year. I don't think it's going to happen, but just based off the value, I will go with the Dodgers here in this game. All right, the last game we will pick. It is showtime tonight in Oakland. Angels visiting the Athletics. Otani on the mound for the Angels. Plus one and a half, minus 225, minus 102 for the Athletics. And Cole Irvin, minus one and a half, plus 185, minus 118. Uh, I'm actually going to go A's minus one and a half here. I think there's going to be a little Otani fatigue coming off of uh, the Derby and the All-Star game. I know he's hit a few homers already post the break, but I like that Oakland lineup. Give me A's minus one and a half. I am actually going to agree with you on that one. Um, although as much as I want to root for Otani, cause he is just unbelievable to watch. Um, you know, he, 
his numbers are good from a pitching perspective, but I think hitting is where he's really excelling. Um, and he had, he hasn't been going too deep into games either. So I do like the A's, especially at home there. So should be a good game and fun to watch Otani, but I do like the A's. So moving to the standings, uh, not a ton of movement since our last show. Uh, they're only games Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in baseball. AL East, Red Sox in front, one back or one, or excuse me, half a game in front of the Rays, Blue Jays, Yanks, Orioles rounding out the East. AL Central, White Sox, eight games up on the Indians. Tigers, Twins, Royals rounding out the Central. AL West, A's three and a half up, or excuse me, Houston three and a half up on the A's. Uh, Seattle, 50 and 44, the surprise team in the American League in third. Angels, Rangers rounding out the division there. Uh, so the second half more or less just started. Uh, who are your playoff predictions the rest of the way in the American League? And then we'll do the same thing in the NL. Uh, yeah, so I guess the Central, I think you got to have the White Sox there. The West, who I actually believe is the best team in the AL and I think has a very good shot of winning the World Series, which a lot of people will not like to hear. The Houston Astros. The East, this is where it gets a little tricky. Um, I've been texting you about this all year, so, so many times about the Yankees' uh, division odds or just making the playoffs. Um, I actually would like to say two days ago, I did place, um, I think it was plus 900 on the Yankees to win the AL East, although... I don't know if that's going to happen. I just don't see them playing mediocre baseball. I think they're going to play good baseball from here on out. The issue is not only the Red Sox having a great season, but the Blue Jays are on fire. This division is so tough. It's such a toss-up. Um, although I bet the Yankees to win, that was more of a value pick. I think you got to stick with the Red Sox, um, just the lead they have, at least right now. Um, but that's a tough one. So it'll be interesting to see, but – the AL East is the biggest question mark, in my opinion. Yeah, for me, AL playoff picture, I think the White Sox finished with the best record in the league, just more more so because of their division and the advantage they have over the rest. Eli Jimenez coming back, obviously huge. I think Houston finishes with the second best record, wins the West. I like the Red Sox in the East. It pains me to say it, but that lineup is just so deep. Uh, they brought up Duran this past weekend, Chris Sales throwing darts in rehab games. I mean, that's you're literally getting a perennial Cy Young contender back in the second half. First wild card, I like the athletics. And then as much as it pains me to say it, uh, I think the Yankees could play really good ball the rest of the way, but the Rays and the Blue Jays are not going anywhere. Uh, so I'm going to go with the Rays as my second wild card team there. Um, Yanks, uh, again, just to win 90 games, you got to go – what's this math here? You got to go 42 and 26 the rest of the way. Just looking at this lineup right now, I don't know if that's doable. Uh, so unfortunately I'm going to be an honest Yankee fan here. Uh, and soon I'll have you be an honest Mets fan, national league standings NL East Mets, two games up on the Phillies, Braves, Nats, Marlins rounding out that division NL central brew crew, 56 and 39, seven up on the reds Cubs, Cardinals, pirates rounding out the central NL West giants, one up on the Dodgers five up on the Padres Rockies D backs rounding out that division. Same thing as the AL American league. Who are your playoff picks uh, as we move into the second half? So starting out in the NL West, I do think the Dodgers are going to end up winning that division. It is an unbelievable division to watch. So you think you'll get three playoff teams out of that one. So just to go off that, I think the Giants and Padres will be the wildcard teams there. And, and I, it doesn't seem like it'll be close really at all for the wildcard race. Um, in the Central, I do have the Brewers. The Brewers have been pretty consistent all year. They're just their starting three pitchers will carry them for as long. Uh, that that's basically how however long they'll go is how uh, just based off of their performance. Um, I don't know how far they'll go in the playoffs, but uh, that those three starters will help them along the way. 
And then in the East, you know, this is tough. Uh, probably, you know, I don't know if you can take my opinion without a grain of salt, but uh, I just don't think the NL East is that, as good as it has been advertised before the season. Obviously, it's shown. And the Mets have faltered along the way, but I don't really know how, who else would take control and win this division. That's why I would stick with the Mets. Obviously, what's being losing to Grom, I do think that'll be more short, short term. Lindor is uh, one that I'm concerned about because his presence with the team, everyone can point to this batting average, but he actually has the best war on the team of position players and he's been extremely valuable to them. So that'll hurt. But I do anticipate them to be pretty active at the deadline and make a big move for Chris Bryant of sorts. So I do think the Mets, um, I do think they will end up winning the division. I just think the media, the division is too mediocre. So that's why I do think the Mets will end up winning the East, but it'll be interesting to watch down the stretch because a lot of teams in that division have been mediocre. So someone's got to take control. All right. I'm going to start with the easy division. Like you said, NL central, the Brewers, um, you know, you got three all-star starters, the best closer in baseball and Josh Hader, Devin Williams, figuring his shit out. That's a very good recipe to win. And, uh, also good to give a shout out to uh, Willie Adamas. All that guy has done is just launch baseball since he went to Milwaukee. Uh, and at least I agree with everything you're saying about the Mets. Uh, I'm actually going to change my prediction from the notes. Uh, the more I think of it, I-, I like the Phillies in the East only because I do. I think the Lindor and DeGrom injuries are big. Um, we don't know when Syndergaard's coming back for the Mets. We don't know how much Stevie Cohen's going to be able to spend in year one. And uh, when it comes down to it, if there's one GM who I can confidently say will push all his chips in uh, to make the playoffs, it's Dave Dombrowski. And I do not. You're, you're right about that. Um, thing to the Phillies, they're going to be active at the deadline, too, because they remind me a little bit of the Mets in the shortened season last year. They have a nice lineup. Great. They have good pitching, at least, you know, Zach Wheeler. That one hurts a little bit. But their bullpen is atrocious. So they need to get that one figured out if they want to really contend. If they can make some moves at the deadline, they can fully have a very good shot at it, but they need some bullpen pieces. And then we go to the NL West. Um, there's going to be three playoff teams in that division. I think the Dodgers, once they got Seager, Seager back, Bellinger's a little bit healthier. I like the Dodgers to come in first, and I like the Giants to host the Padres in the NL wildcard game. I mean, that wildcard game, I hope it's – I hope it's in San Diego because the San Diego crowd is something else these days, especially with all the excitement they have there. So we'll see how that goes, but I would love the Padres to have some home games at Petco. So let me ask you this then, this will be my last question for the standings. Um, You, I, so in the wild card game, we both have the giants and the Padres Um, who would be your Bavada pick to come out of the wild card and presumably play the Dodgers in the first round. Uh, I would have to go with the Padres. As good as the Giants have been, I just think the Padres have too much star power. Um, they also have a bunch of veterans on the team, guys who have won before. At least Hosmer's been there. He's a, probably a good leader to have. And they have a bunch of young guys who, you know, um, t- they'll be having their Tatis at least, or he'll be having his first playoff appearance. Um, so it'll be fun to watch. But Whoa, that's, that, I don't think that's 100% true. Wasn't he healthy last year? You are right. So that shortened season – who did they lose to last year in 2020? I think they played the Dodgers in the first round, didn't they? Yeah. So then, all right. So I guess they'll have that. That all right. That'll help them. A little experience from last year. And arms. Last year, Clevenger got hurt. Lament got hurt. You know, there's a big difference going in with Musgrove, Darvish, Snell, and then Paddock's your four starter. Yeah, I mean, Snell's been weirdly not great this year, but uh, big I still, game pitcher. You take their that experience exactly. And Darvish. I mean, they have so many arms like. 
they have four people you could have pitching game one and you'll be okay with. I mean, that wild card game you'll have it being okay with. So I would go with the Padres, but it'll be a tough, it'll be a good game. So speaking with speaking of players, you'd be okay with going into game one of the postseason. We'll move over to the league leaderboard on the pitching side first. Uh, wins leaders Kyle Hendricks and Julio Urias tied with 12. ERA DeGrom 1.08. Saves leader, no surprise, Mark Melanson still at 27. Innings pitch leader Zach Wheeler 125 and two thirds. Strikeout leader Garrett Cole 158 and the WHIP leader DeGrom 0.55. Uh, anything that stands out to you as a surprise there, it's mostly the Jacob DeGrom show uh, and even the wins leader, Kyle Hendricks turned it around and Urias just gets a ton of run support. Yeah, I mean, I think the wins are surprising, but wins are hard to judge in this day of baseball. I think the Cole leading the league in strikeouts, it's not surprising at all, but he's having a very solid season, which is not going under the radar, but it had a lot of, you know, with all the sticky substance stock. He had, no, he's, he's got a chip on his shoulder now. Yeah, he has a chip on his shoulder. He had a couple of shaky starts a month, a month or a month and a half ago, and he's had two great his last two starts. Um, it's just been, you know, it's been a lot going on, and the talk hasn't necessarily been how great Garrett Cole's been. There's been a lot of other talk, but I think it's impressive how well he's still pitching. Um, he's a slight favorite for the Cy Young right now, but I think it's impressive just that he's, continued to be steady throughout with a lot going on. So I think that's the most, not surprising, but definitely the one that stands out to me. Offensive side of things, two all-star shortstops tied for the league lead and run scored. Bo Bichette, Fernando Tatis Jr. Hits leader, Adam Frazier of the Pirates. He got scratched from the lineup today. Expect to see him get traded soon, maybe to Flushing. Uh, doubles leader, two stalwarts on this list, Xander Bogarts and Nick Castellanos tied at 29 apiece. Showtime leading with 34 homers, but Vlad Jr.'s got him beat with 78 ribbies. Walks leader, Joey Gallo with 72. Your stolen base leader, Whit Merrifield, 24. Average leader, 332, Vlad Jr. OBP, Vlad Jr. with 430. Otani and slugging, 688. Uh, I guess in, in terms of Otani and Vlad, and we'll talk about them a little bit more at length when we talk about the All-Star game shortly. What is Vlad Jr.? If Vlad Jr., say wins the batting title, hits 50 home runs, but doesn't lead the league and leads the league in ribbies. Does he need to win the triple crown for Otani not to win the MVP this year? Let's see. The thing is, there's a scenario where Vlad wins the triple crown and you still can, doesn't win the MVP. Yeah. And you, it's, it's totally reasonable. Um, any other year you, that wouldn't make any sense, but I think if Otani stays healthy and at least produces, he doesn't have to produce his first half numbers, but it produces at least at a high level. I think it's totally reasonable that Otani can win the MVP, even though Vlad wins the Triple Crown, which is crazy to say. It would be absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, moving to some players of the week, shout-out to the Padres in general. Uh, they beat the Nationals 24-8 uh, to eight this weekend. Um, but within that, the star of the night, Jake Cronenworth, all-star utility player, hit for the cycle, the third in franchise history. Tommy Pham also stole home. Will Myers hit a grand slam and 24 runs total, the most in a game in Padres history. Um, shout out to Alex Reyes, his 24th consecutive save to start a big league career. Past LaTroy Hawkins to set a major league record, also set the Cardinals record for consecutive saves. Uh, shout out to the machine, Albert Pujols, with his 3,284th hit uh, on Friday. He passed Willie Mays for 11th on the all-time list. Carlos Rodon against the Astros Sunday, seventh score was 10 strikeouts. Corbin Burns against the Reds, eight in the third. Uh, score was 12 Reds or 12 strikeouts against the Reds. Here's an interesting one. And then I got some Mets talk, which you, you knew you had to know this was coming. Um, yep. Craig Kimbrell 
369th career save. He j- passed Jonathan Papelbon for ninth on the all-time list. I, I know relief pitchers, it's very fickle to try and predict who is going to be a Hall of Famer or not, just because, you know, saves like wins are very arbitrary, this and that. But, you know, what would you put the Bavada odds at that when all is said and done, Craig Kimball is going to be a Hall of Famer? I feel very strongly he's going to end up in Cooperstown. Uh, Bryce feels differently. Uh, I would actually, I'm going to agree with you. I think, I actually think it won't be that much of a debate. I think Craig Kimbrell will definitely make the Hall of Fame. He's been, I mean, starting out young with the Braves, he was dominant for so, he was the best closer in baseball for several years with the Braves and had so many dominant seasons with them. Obviously not looking at the numbers exactly, but he had so many great years with them. And then obviously. He with um, the Braves, I'll, I'll tell you right now, in five years, uh, had a one four three ERA and saved 186 games. And that's including his first year where he was not a relief pitcher. So it was four years as a closer in Atlanta, um, had a one five one ERA and averaged 46 saves and 109 strikeouts a year. Yeah, that those numbers are just ridiculous. And also, obviously, had a couple of sh- his last year, with the, last year with the Cubs. Um, he had a couple of shaky years, but this year he's back to his dominant form, which is just so it's not random, but like you wouldn't I would not have expected it. Um, and who knows if he's going to slow down anytime soon, because this year he's not showing at least. So I do think he's definitely on a Hall of Fame track and don't see. I find it hard to believe he, uh, Craig Kimball wouldn't make the Hall of Fame unless injury were to slow that down. As dumb as it is, I, I think the fact that, you know, eight-time All-Star is great. I think the fact that he has a World Series ring is a big thing in his advantage. No, I, I, I do agree with that. Um, and I think, you know, as a closer of his caliber, who knows what he'll do the next few years. I'm sure he'll be closing for um, good teams out there, at least now with the Cubs. I, if I so- were – Someone's training for him in the next week. If I were the Astros, I would do everything I can to get Craig Kimball. He will make a huge difference for that your bullpen down the down the road in October. And you're, if you're getting him, that's just a huge huge advantage to have and a winning move, in my opinion. So Kimball right now is 33 years old. He's at 369 saves. K Rod is in fourth at 437. Uh, so he needs 68 career saves to, or excuse me, 69 career saves to pass K Rod for top four all time. Uh, Lee Smith, the third Hoffman two, Mo, obviously all three of them are in the hall of fame. Um, I think when all is said and done 69 more saves, Kimbrell's going to finish with at least the fourth most saves ever. No, I, I would fully agree with that one. Surprise. I mean, K-Rod, what he has, I think the single season record, but that is surprising that K-Rod's ahead of him. But I do think Kimbrell should have a good, a very good chance to pass. A 62 save re- season goes a very long way towards helping your numbers. Yeah. And then he becomes a Met and his performance goes downhill. Yep. And then there's domestic abuse and a whole lot of other stuff. Um, so let me ask you, one of our players of the week this week is Jacob Stallings, um, because as painful as it is, you hit a walk off grand slam. You're going to be one of the players of the week. It came at the expense of the Mets though. Uh, the Mets are up seven, nothing Saturday, at PNC park Lugo and Diaz come in to blow it. Diaz points into the sky, thinks it's a pop-up. And uh, to be fair, this was not a very bad pitch by Edwin Diaz. It was a couple feet inside Stallings just went and got the ball. Uh, but I'll ask you this. As a Mets fan, what made you lose your mind more? The walk-off grand slam and Diaz point to the sky as if it was a pop-up. Or yesterday, uh, when three runs scored on a ground ball that was trickled up the foul line, think bunt, that Taiwan Walker thought was foul and th- threw away, allowing three runs to score. So, thankfully, I actually was not home during the game yesterday. So, I did not see the Taiwan Walker play live. I later saw on the MLB app right after I saw uh, then I saw delay on on-field delay. Uh, Luis Rojas ejected. 
So I obviously knew something was going on. But uh, it's important to note, the Mets ended up winning the game. So Very night, important to note. The night before, the Diaz game, or the, Diaz, the Stallings Grand Slam, that one obviously was much, much harder to take in and watch. If you're obviously being a Mets fan, ever since we've had Diaz, he somehow has the ability to have the most soul-crushing blown saves there is. And he, his ERA won't show it. It was, I believe it was a 3.2 before that game. Now it's in the low fours. So his ERA does not look good, but he's been great this year, but he has still found, he'll find a way to have a soul-crushing blown save as he did the other night. The Walker player on the on another hand was ridiculous in its own way. Um, I loved what Luis Luis Rojas takes a lot of heat from Mets fans. I loved what he did yesterday. He unfortunately got suspended two games for it, but um, the Mets came back and won. And I know that's more of an old school thing from a manager to do. I don't know if he was intentionally trying to fire up his team, but the Mets bullpen held their own and they rattled off seven straight runs. So that was a huge win yesterday after a terrible loss the night before. Per talking baseball on Twitter, they became uh, the first team in the history of the National League that came back from a six-run deficit to win uh, the next day after the other team did the same thing. That is a very interesting stat, and unfortunately, we would like to think this would not be going up against the last-place Pittsburgh Pirates. But, you know, they'll take the win yesterday, and then hopefully Diaz and the Lugo bounce back from the night before. But uh, the Mets need to get rolling, but that is a – you know, against the Pirates, it's not what you, not a stat you want to be hearing. All right, we'll talk positive for the Mets now. Uh, home run derby, Polar Bear Pete. Uh, Pete Alonso gets up and just mashes baseballs. Uh, he successfully defended his 2019 crown. Again, there was no home run derby last year due to the pandemic. Uh, by topping Trey Mancini of the Orioles in the final round, joining Ken Griffey Jr. and Joanna Cespedes as the only back-to-back derby champs in history. Uh, Alonso was the five seed coming into the derby's eight-man field. His 17 home runs before the break tied him for 14th in the NL but he knew uh, that this was his game to win. Uh, he had 25 home runs during the three-minute round in the first round, two of them breaking the 500 homer mark or 500 foot mark, and then launched 10 more uh, in the 60 seconds of bonus time, giving him an eye-popping 35 in round one. Uh, and Salvador Perez, to his credit, countered with 28, which would have been the second-best total of the night. Uh, but all told in the first round, uh, nine of Pete's homers exceeded 475 feet, uh, and all his 35 blasts, Total 15,869 feet, which is a little bit over three miles. Uh, Alonzo's second round opponent was Juan Soto. Soto again, it was a three, uh, three swing swing off. He beat Otani in the first round. It was the equivalent to double overtime. And he had the longest homer of the night at 520 feet. Uh, Soto ultimately just gassed, I think, in that second round. He had 15 total. Pete hits 14 in the first 157, calls timeout. Uh, took another 15 seconds to hit the two home runs necessary to announce to advance to the final, leaving 48 unneeded seconds on the clock. Um, and then from there, Mancini meets him in the finals. He beat Matt Olson in the first round, 24-23. Snuck by the hometown guy, Trevor Story, 13-12 in the second round. Uh, Mancini hit 22 total, um, but Pete calls his timeout with 36 seconds left and 12 homers on the board. Hits five more at the end of regulation to get to 17. Um, and then hit six home run in the first 29 seconds of overtime to take home the title. Uh, and it's amazing. Pete's been making the league minimum the past uh, two years, and he's made $1 million a pop from the past two home run derbies, some of which he's donated to charity, which is great. Uh, but it is crazy that Pete Alonso has made significantly more money playing or winning the home run derby than participating uh, in the New York Mets past two seasons. 
Um, did you get to watch the home run derby and see Pete in action? Cause this was epic. He's built for this. So I, I actually, this was pretty fun for me because since, uh, as you're saying, the Mecca camp Skatico, since I'm seven years old, I have not really been able to watch a home run derby ever in my life. Unfortunately, if Corey to ever hear this, uh, two years ago, I was on OD the night he won and was able to sneak a watch on the watch ESPN app on my phone, uh, during the last round. So I was able to see him win two years ago briefly, but I watched the entirety of the home run derby with my dad, which was awesome. Um, it was honestly the easiest, uh, individual, not award, but it was, it was the easiest thing you've ever seen someone do. He had, he was hitting them with ease and you could saw other players getting tired, falling a little bit off balance. Um, Pete was just swinging easy the entire time, and the balls were flying out. Mancini, I got a little worried. Mancini, to his credit, I, um, he had a great couple rounds, but against in the last round, he had a uh, was it, I think 22, um, but he had a lot of home runs, and I was a little worried going in, but Pete, you know, he made it look easy, and it was never really in question that he was winning that. And we knew this was probably the most highly anticipated derby in the history of the event because it was at the launch pad known as Coors Field. Um, for context, from 2016 to 2019, there were four homers at Coors Field that cracked 500 feet. Uh, there were 15 homers uh, that landed that distance on Monday in the Home Run Derby. Uh, two other takeaways from the Derby. One, I think by far the most disappointing hitter, and he's the guy I had money on. I was expecting Joey Gallo to be hitting balls out of Coors Field, and for him to go down with a whimper in the first round was very upsetting to me. I, as well, had uh, money on Joey Gallo. Um, I did not bet on Pete. You know, I, I figured if Pete won, I'd be happy regardless, but I really thought Gallo was going to win, and I actually I thought he put on an unreal performance. It was completely disappointing. Um, you could say Otani was disappointing, but that one makes – he doesn't he doesn't take batting practice, so it kind of looked like he didn't take batting practice because he looked off balance and out in front the entire time. But Gallo was definitely surprising and very disappointing. And my second take, and we've seen this so far, I think he's already hit three home runs since the Derby. Uh, some guys, the Derby screws with their swing – I watched Juan Soto hit and I went, oh shit, here comes the real Juan Soto in the second half. The National League is in big, big trouble. <laughs> I will, I honestly thought not just the home run derby. First of all, he thought the furthest home run, which is just impressive because he was, as you're saying, this home run derby was so looked forward to because A, course field, but also just the stacked lineup it had. But there isn't a bat that, uh, Soto had in the all-star game where he was down 0-2 in the count. I forget who he was facing, ended up working a walk. I think it's, he's underappreciated. I do honestly think Juan Soto is the best hitter in baseball. I know there's so many people you could throw out there. Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm so with you. I think, and I don't think it's close. I think, I think Smoltz was saying it too during the broadcast. His, his type of, his approach, the way he takes every at-bat, that'll last him at least 15 years. He hits, he's a line drive hitter who hits for power. He has an unbelievable eye, walks all the time. I think he's by, not by far. There's tons of great hitters in the game right now, but I think Soto is fully the best hitter in baseball. No, there's a reason they let Bryce Harper walk for a 19-year-old, and that's, uh, that's the reality of Juan Soto. Uh, he made an appearance for the National League in the All-Star game, and coming into the game, the American League were the Bavada favorites, um, and that is because they had won 14 of the past 17 All-Star games. Otani was the heavy favorite to win the MVP. That didn't happen, but the American League, did win their 15th all-star game in the past 18, beating the National League 5-2. to two. Um, Speaking of Otani, though, we do have to talk about it. He was in the home run derby. He was the AL's leadoff hitter and then also was the starting pitcher. Uh, the MLB actually bended the rules for him to get a second at bat as a DH after he left the game as a pitcher. And even though he grounded out twice, 
you know, watching Otani go up against Tatis, Muncie, and Arenado and go one, two, three uh, with a couple strikeouts and hitting 100 on the fastball. Obviously, it wasn't Pedro in 99 uh, striking out the first five in order, but it had that kind of electricity to it, in my opinion. Yeah, I think uh, there's few must-watch people in baseball these days, and Otani's got to be at the top, the top of the list, whether it's pitching um, as he is tonight or when every, every at-bat he has. He is unbelievable to watch and just – as you were saying, it was a long weekend for him. It's he really was the home run derby starting and batting leadoff. He had so much going on and it was just impressive to watch. And, you know, he obviously had a successful performance from the pitching standpoint, um, went over two, but still extremely impressive to watch him day in and day out. Yeah. This weekend was major league baseball. I think officially coronating him as the new face of baseball uh, along with Tatis and this guy, Vlad jr. Um, after Marcus Simeon got the AL on the board with an RBI single in the second, Vlad Jr. hit a 468-foot solo shot to left center off of Corbin Burns in the third. Uh, he's the youngest MVP in All-Star Game history at 22 years, 119 days old. And joining the Bonds and the Griffies, uh, the Guerreros are now the third father-son combo to go deep in an All-Star Game. As a Yankee fan, I mean, I love watching Vlad Jr. as a baseball fan, but as a Yankee fan... Every time I watch this guy hit, I, I get shades of watching Manny hit, honestly. And knowing what Manny did against the Yankees for years and years, Vlad Jr. is going to be that problem as a right-handed hitter, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be fun being a Yankees fan facing him for a ton of years. Um, maybe since they're in Toronto, he won't. who knows how long he'll be there. But he's still got him for a bunch of years. And uh, he is just something else right now, and I don't think he's going anywhere soon. But just to touch on the Blue Jays, they, I, in my opinion, had a remarkably quick and successful rebuild, I would like to call it, just from – they really just had two or maybe three years of being a poor baseball team. But they really have a lot of young talent, and I think they'll be contending for the next several years in the AL East. they got a fun team to watch. Yeah, I mean, you had the three all-star game starters in Teoscar, Bichette, and Vlad – or Teoscar – Simeon and Vlad, granted, I don't think Simeon's there long-term. I think that was a good one-year deal that paid off for both teams. But you still had Bichette. I mean, Robbie Ray, you brought bought low on him. He's finally figured out his control for the first time in five years. He's been great. And uh, ultimately, this lineup's humming, and Springer hasn't done a thing. And they gave him yeah. the biggest free agent deal in, fran in franchise history. So I'm with you. The Blue Jays are going to be around for a while. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez also had a two-run double in the game that made it 4 nothing. JT Real Muto hit a solo homer for the NL. Mike Zunino also hit a solo shot, though, to make it 5-1. Uh, and then there was an unearned run on a Zunino pass ball. That was the final score, 5-2 there. Um, it was really cool. I mean, this game certainly had a world aspect to it. Japanese-born Otani was the AL winning, AL's winning pitcher. Uh, the 22-year-old Canadian-born and Dominican Republican-bred Vlad Jr. was the MVP. A Georgia boy named Jared Walsh made the catch of the night. And Liam Hendricks, who, A, Mic that guy up all the time because he's fucking out of his mind. I mean, that was, I don't know what Fox was thinking there. There's a lot of that lot could go wrong, but as baseball fans, it was definitely enjoyable to watch. He is an Australian. He got the save, and Tuesday marked the first time that three players born outside the United States earned the All Star Games pitching win, save, and MVP award in the same year. I mean, this and the fact that baseball is back in the Olympics next week, great time to showcase the world aspect of the game. A uh, couple other odds and ends Real Muto and Zunino. Both going deep, Mark, just the third time that two catchers homered in the same All-Star game. Scherzer through the opening frame of the night, making his fourth All-Star game start of his incredible career. 
uh, joining Robin Roberts, Lefty Gomez, Don Drysdale, Jim Palmer, and Randy Johnson as the sixth pitcher to make at least four All-Star game starts. And interestingly enough, all we talk about is power and strikeouts. You tell me if this is as crazy as I think it is. The NL only struck out three times on the night, the fewest by either league in an All-Star game since the AL was punched out three times in 2009. I feel like in an All-Star game, you're swinging for the fences. Uh, I guess maybe that's just the National League style of play. You got pitchers hitting and small ball. I mean, I still that still is shocking, especially the way the game is now. Where it's not always, but it seems like an all-or-nothing approach. And especially going against the American League's best pitchers, you would have thought that that would have been a lot higher. That's a three. Is, that's pretty crazy. But uh, I guess, I don't know. That that doesn't make a lot of sense. But uh, I guess the NL, yeah. So that is their style. But still, in this today's game, that's surprising. So one guy who uh, made his second all-star appearance after a decade, uh, and as any listeners of the show know, I is one of my favorite players in baseball. Uh, that, that's Lance Lynn. Right now, Lynn, 9-3, and 3.4 wars so far, 199 ERA, 1.037 whip, firmly in the Cy Young race. Uh, White Sox traded Dane Dunning for him this offseason, uh, and they are keeping him in Chicago with a two-year $38 million extension that could keep uh, Lynn through the, in Chicago through the 2024 season with the third year club option. If that is uh, put into play there, um, Lynn again, 34 years old, but he'll make 18 and a half million in each of the next two seasons. And then the white Sox hold an $18 million option for 2024. That includes a $1 million buyout. Uh, Lynn has never been a top three finisher for the Cy Young award, but has finished in the top six in each of the past two seasons, uh, which is why the white Sox gave Lynn a bonus. If he finishes in the top three of the Cy Young voting, uh, Lynn's 94 mile power heater, very constant to where it's been the past couple of seasons, uh, though he's dropped the usage down a little bit while picking up the cutter, as a lot of veterans do later in their career. Um, he's been just about the same guy in Chicago that he was in Texas, pounding the zone and playing the contact with a below average swing rate. Uh, but he gets guys to swing the bat. He still throws hard. 1.99 ERA, 16 starts, like I said. I think this is a very fair deal for both teams. I think if you're the White Sox, you now have Giolito, Keuchel, and Lynn locked up at least through 2024 if you want. Michael Kopech will be in the rotation next year with Dylan Cease. Uh, my question for you is, um, you know, what do you think the Bavada over-under would have been for Lance Lynn's market had he hit free agency? To me, I don't, I don't think a team was going to give him $18, $19 million a year. So I think this was good value for both the team and Lance Lynn. Yeah, I think, uh, I think this was a great deal for both teams. I mean, both Lance Lynn and the White Sox. Um, I do agree with you. I don't think he would have gotten this in free agency. Obviously, who knows how he would finish the year. But I think there's also knowing where the White Sox will be going. Though Lance Lynn has been consi- as consistent as it gets in terms, of, in terms of pitching in baseball since he's been in the league. Um, so you wouldn't really expect him to slow down the next couple of years. And also this could be like maybe a little thank you for what he's done so far. Don't really always see that. But uh, I do think it's go- great for both sides. And um, the White Sox should be in contention, and Lance Lynn will be a big part of it those next couple of years, so it'll be fun to watch. And Yankee fans listening who think that Lance Lynn sucks because of his uh, one-half season with the Yanks that didn't go so well, watch the guy pitch. I promise you he doesn't suck. You might even enjoy yourself watching him. Um, I want to talk about – there was a lot of baseball news this week that made news for reasons outside of the game, Uh, the craziest of which what happened uh, Saturday in D.C., Uh, And that was when the Padres Nationals game was suspended in the middle of the sixth inning after a shooting was reported outside the third base gate at Nationals Park. 
uh, between the top and bottom of the six, loud noises sounding like gunshots rang out from the third base side of the ballpark and a commotion broke out inside the stadium and fans ran through the concourse away from the direction of the incident and some onto the field. Uh, players quickly retreated into the dugouts and their clubhouses. Some fans hit in the dugout while others ducked behind their seats, uncertain whether the situation was ongoing or whether it had occurred inside the ballpark. Shortly thereafter, the stadium's PA announcer announced that the incident had occurred outside of the ballpark, asking fans to remain in the side of the stadium. And after a few minutes, fans were asked to exit the ballpark through the center field and right field gates. Anyone who, look, I've, I've been the first guy who's given Manny Machado a lot of shit over the years for being a dirty player. If anybody ever says another bad word about Manny Machado, I have nothing to say to you because there are videos where you could see Tatis Machado, Profar, and Will Myers sprinting out towards a gate near the third baseline in a frantic attempt to usher families and friends of teammates to safety. A uh, no, number of fans poured through the gate and into the Padres dugout. Uh, and at that point, Tatis just said the situation trade changed immediately. There's no longer fans. Everyone's just people, just human beings out there. Uh, according to tweets from the DC Metropolitan Police Department, at least four people were wounded. Uh, they finished the game Sunday in a game that the Padres ultimately ended up winning. But this to me was truly something like truly – Nothing true. I'm trying to think how to even articulate this right now. Um, this was something that was unlike anything we've ever seen in sports before. Uh, I mean, what was your reaction when you heard something like this went down at a major league baseball game? I mean, as we were struck, like there's, there are no words for it. I, be, I mean, we've never seen anything like this at first. Um, you know, I was just watching the Mets game and I was looking on Twitter and um, it, the first reports were there's been a shooting at or they believed initially they did not know if it was in or outside the stadium so it was scary seeing all the players run off not knowing and as you said what Tatis and um, Machado and a couple other Padres were doing no one knew if it was in the stadium or not I actually had a friend who was at the game so it was just like an extremely scary incident altogether um, you know luckily it was outside the stadium but still an extremely scary incident um, can't really describe it. There's nothing we've seen like it. Um, but it really, as as you were saying, Machado, it in that moment, uh, I believe Tatis had a quote where no one was there. There's no difference between players and fans in that moment. They're all just human beings, which I think you know really explains the situation well. Tells you type the type of people Tatis and Machado are. But just really nothing else to describe except an extremely scary incident. Um, but think thankfully, not too many people were hurt, and at least no one in the stadium or players, anything like that, but just really scary in general. Yeah. Fortunately, everyone in the park was safe. Uh, and you mentioned what well, you mentioned just now about, you know, players just being people. I, I think often as fans, people lose sight of that. Uh, and as a Yankee fan, that was something that we saw at Yankee stadium this past Saturday uh, before the bottom of the sixth inning, it's raining in the Yankee Red Sox game. Uh, Alex Verdugo is playing right field and he had a ball thrown into the stands Um he threw a ball into the stands out in the outfield. He was aiming for a Red Sox fan. The ball ended up in the hands of a Yankee fan. And a mid-chance to throw it back, the fan threw the ball on the field and hit Verdugo in the back. Verdugo obviously began furiously talking to fans in the seats uh, before being restrained by a teammate and a coach. Uh, excuse me, this was in left field, not right field. Alex Cora pulled his team off the field. Uh, and Verdugo had this to say, the trash talking, the bringing up family members, the having everybody chant, excuse my language, fuck Verdugo and all these things. I'm used to that. I don't care. That's cool with me. But the moment somebody throws as players, we're throwing balls in the stands to try to give people souvenirs, try to make little kids days and things like that. Just to hear people saying throw back and then someone actually throws it in the back and it felt like it was targeted towards me. That doesn't sit right with me. 
Uh, Aaron Boone said he hopes that the guy is in jail right now. He also said if, Al, if he was Alex Gore, he would have done the same thing and gotten his guys off the field. Uh, Cora's just saying, you know, there's no chance we're going to play right now. Uh, and the fan was ultimately found removed from Yankee Stadium and is now banned from all 30 MLB teams. Um, so first, on a very surface level, I have to ask you this. Like, what kind of fucking idiot do you have to be to throw a ball at a professional athlete of any kind, knowing, A, if they do get a hold of you, you're dead. And B, in social media, you're going to get caught. Like, is it worth this laugh to now never be able to attend a professional baseball game for the rest of your life? See, I think when a, I don't know what the thought process is when someone does that. I think they're probably thinking I'm not going to get caught. Nothing actually is going to come from it. Um, I think this is something we've kind of seen all throughout sports a lot in the NBA, but now especially in baseball too. But um, fans just think that, you know, they're not on the field. They're away. They're in there, you know in the, the stands, they think they have this freedom that they're not going to be caught and all this. I do applaud the MLB. I think that was a good and uh, harsh punishment, which rightfully so. Um, and it was, it's just sad to hear what Verdugo had to say, how, first of all, I don't know why you, I, I'm keeping a baseball if I get it, but uh, I don't know why you're throwing it back at the, how, why you'd be throwing it back at a, in, on the field or even at towards a player. Um, those players, you know, they're doing their job. And as, as Verdugo said, they're trying to give it to kids, make their days and which it almost always does. So it's just sad to see something like that. So Verdugo got his hands on this guy, Bavada over under would he have lasted more or less, uh, than 15 seconds with Verdugo. Oh, no chance. I mean, I think <laughs> Verdugo is one scary guy. I would not want to be one on one with him when he's angry. Yeah, no, he's tough. And, uh, speaking of the Yankees and some craziness, uh, that Yankees Red Sox series, the game Thursday was postponed due to a Yankees COVID outbreak, uh, and contact tracing, uh, Jonathan Loaiza, Nestor Cortez Jr. And Wandy Peralta were all placed on the COVID list. Um, and Aaron judge, Higashi, Kai Higashioka and Gio Urshela all out. They are all COVID positive. So they are on the 10 day list. Won't be able to play then. Uh, Loaiza actually tested positive during the Yankees series prior to the all-star break in Houston and did not travel with the team following its series at Minute Maid Park. Uh, again, all of these players, uh, or at least Cortez, Loisa, and Peralta are all vaccinated, uh, as are most, but not all of the six affected players. Uh, the Yankees got the Johnson and Johnson shot. I'm going to save my rant on vaccines for a different day. Um, but one, you know, I get the Yankees have to say it, but by saying that most, but not all of these players are vaccinated, like you're really hanging out to dry. Whoever that one guy is, who is not vaccinated. And the yeah. Yankees have crossed the 85% threshold, this and that, but. Well, that's the thing. Um, the Yankees are also one of the first teams to cross it. So I guess you can definitely blame a lot of it on being unlucky, but uh, this is obviously just something so unpredictable. Um, luckily it didn't seem to spread throughout the other all-stars, which really could have been a disaster for major league baseball. But as you're saying, all those players who got COVID the Yankees got unlucky, especially they had some high level talent, um, especially judge getting COVID, you know, they couldn't really afford that. Um, so that's going to be a big part of what they have to deal with the next week or two, but uh, really unfortunate, but yeah, it, it is tough with the vaccine and obviously just COVID in general. So, so you say unfortunate, I actually think, uh, you know, how fortunate we are because judge was not only at the uh, all-star game, um, but he walked out Hank Aaron's 80 something year old wife, him and Freddie Freeman, where, the fact that judge didn't lead to a massive, massive COVID outbreak across baseball, uh, to me, small miracle. Yeah, no, uh, as I was saying, luckily the all-stars didn't get it, but 
a lot these these are these are young baseball players so thankfully um Hank Aaron's wife was fine because that would have been a whole another disaster but uh yeah it would uh there's a lot that could have gone wrong um unfortunate for the Yankees but I guess fortunate for the rest of baseball and anyone who was involved in uh the all-star game festivities but yeah that was a lot to take in right there so talking about Hank Aaron's hometown Braves um even with Ronald Acuna out, they say now that they are going to be buyers. They traded for two veterans this past week. Uh, they traded for Steven Vogt to be catching depth. He's 36 years old, 212, 307, 386, across 35 games for the Diamondbacks. Can play elsewhere in the field. That didn't really move the needle for me. Um, but I was surprised when they traded for Jock Peterson. Um, obviously, with Acuna, you are now coming in for a lefty bat there. And Peterson, even you know when he was a free agent this year, very interesting player profile. Um, he's hit a career 271, 348, 339 against left-handed hitters. Played with, signed with the Cubs because they offered him a chance to play every day rather than platooning uh, like he did with the Dodgers. Uh, this past season, you know, he's been slightly below average as a hitter, uh, 95 WRC plus, 96 OPS plus, 11 homers, 230, 300, 418 slash line. All 11 of those homers have come against right-handed pitching. Um, and against right-handed pitching this year, he's still only hitting 218. But all in all, uh, I like this move by the Braves. You get a little pop in for Acuna. Peterson could play all three outfield positions defensively. Uh, and ultimately, a guy who has nothing but playoff experience, and in my opinion, at least, has delivered in a lot of big moments for the Dodgers. Uh, what was your reaction when this was the first domino to fall of the hot stove uh, trade deadline season, Jock Peterson going to the Braves from the Cubs? Um, I mean, it was definitely surprising seeing the Braves, a team who's not necessarily in prime contention, but uh, obviously with Acuna being out, um, Peterson made a lot of sense for them and, you know, only on his one year deal. So they probably, they did not, it's interesting also giving up a first base prospect that shows the confidence they have. Um, Freddie's coming back. Yeah. Freddie's coming back. Um, Freddie's going to Cooperstown as a brave and he's another guy. Like when we mentioned Juan Soto before, Freddie, Freddie's going to end of the year hitting 310 with 30 homers. He just got off to a slow start. Slow start, in which you've never really seen Freddie slump at all. So surprising, but he's been, I forget what, in his last 30 or so games, I saw this on Twitter, I think he's batting 390. So he's been unbelievable lately. You know, I, I, I said I think the Mets will win the division, but the Braves have the most talent in the division, in my opinion. So it's, it was a little, it's very surprising. You know, they got a little unlucky with the injury bug. But uh, Peterson, I think, is a great move for them. And, He's a guy who he could go on a two-week tear where that could really carry a team for those two weeks. He could get on fire. His power will travel well. Um, so I think it was a good move and a low-cost move for them and one that they need to make. All right, so let's now talk about the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. Uh, he had a couple different statements this week that I wanted to go over, uh, the first of which I have a – with Rob Manfred in general on the show, I have a principal – um, I'm the first one who will shit on Rob Manfred, but all that said, I will also make sure to be the first one to give him credit where credit's due. Uh, and he announced this week that major league baseball over the next 10 years made a historic financial commitment of up to $150 million to the players announcement. Uh, he made the announcement of Coors Field during the home run derby and the funding will go towards a variety of programs built around participation in baseball, mentorship and professional baseball employee development, and to include initiatives to celebrate black baseball history and culture, educational grants and service communities. This to me, you want to grow the game of baseball in the United States. These are the things you have to do. And I tip their hat to Manfred and the owners for getting something right instead of just being greedy when it comes to money. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, as you said, this is – give credit where credit's due. Manfred and Major League Baseball did well here. Um, and, yeah, I mean, baseball, they know the – I think they're aware of the issues they've been having um, in terms of growing the game, and they're really starting to make an effort to change that, and I think this is a perfect example of that. And uh, hopefully you'll see the game grow in gen- um, as a result, not just here, but just all throughout baseball. So were you as happy as I was when he said at the All-Star game Tuesday that he does not think seven-inning doubleheaders are going to be part of the future going forward and indicated the same about the extra inning rule um, as well as, I guess, banning the shift? How do you feel about those three things? The banning the shift, I have mixed feelings on. but Banning the shift, um, just starting on that, I do, I do not want to I – mean, the shift, it's, it's frustrating as a fan watching – Fucking hit the ball the other way. You're professional baseball players. Professional baseball players. Or even lay down a bunt, you know, make them play it, make make them guard the line at third. These are professionals. They should be able to go the other way. Um, but in terms of the rules, inter, uh, extra inning rule and the seven inning doubleheader, as much as I, I, I would love for that to go back to its old ways, I do take it with a little grain of salt because with the new collective bargain agreement coming up and the negotiations involved in that. Part of me thinks that Manfred might be saying this um, with anticipation that the players actually want the rules to stay as they are. A lot of players have spoken um, out and said they actually enjoy the seven inning double headers just because it's easier on them physically. It doesn't take as much of a toll on them. But as fans, I just hate it. And um, so I really hope when he says that, this is actually something that will come. But that's to be seen um, and something we'll have to follow in the offseason. All right. And the last big piece of news is uh, we've been following – from afar, whether or not the A's are going to end up uh, leaving Oakland or remaining where they've stayed for the past 60 years or so. Uh, Manfred on Tuesday placed additional pressure on East Bay officials, uh, saying the process of keeping the Oakland Athletics from relocating is at its end and stated that this is a decision point for Oakland as to whether they want to have Major League Baseball moving forward. The A's current lease with the Oakland Coliseum ends in 2024, and Manfred said calling Las Vegas alternative as a bluff is a mistake, uh, saying Las Vegas is a viable alternative for a Major League Club, and there are other viable alternatives that I haven't turned the A's loose to even explore at this point. Uh, Manfred also said that A's managing partner John Fisher has done everything I've asked him to do in terms of trying to keep the A's in Oakland, and more than I've asked him to do in terms of financial commitments. Um, if you were, if you were placing a bet on this on Bavada, would you say yes or no? The A's are still playing in Oakland come 2025. I would say the A's would not be playing in Oakland as unfortunate as that sounds. I it's growing up. It's, you know, it's tough to see whenever a team has to relocate, especially, I mean, I think the A's are, I think that Oakland, it'd be fun if they were to stay in Oakland, but I don't think it's necessarily possible there's a lot of going into it too with taxes and all that with the people um within the community so there's a whole different side of that but i really i I don't see it happening i think baseball um will jump at the opportunity to uh grow its market in a place like las vegas which you've seen the nfl do and nhl so i do think they will be moving i have friends who are from the norcal area and grew up as a's fans and raiders fans I mean, how does it get more devastating than not having one, but two of your teams from the same region relocate to the same city within a five-year stretch if the A's end up in Las Vegas? Yeah, I don't know what you'd do there. As I, like I was saying, it, it's sad that you don't want to see that happen to a fan base. You have a special election and get those politicians the fuck out of office is what you do. I, I completely <laughs> agree. I don't even know what you do. become Vegas fans at that point? You, I don't know what to do. Yeah. For context, most of the Raiders fans did carry over, yes. Okay, so that 
But still, you don't want to see it happen, so it'll be interesting. And the Oakland Coliseum, I only went once. I mean, best beer selection of any park I've ever been to, but it literally smelled like shit. It was a shithole. Yeah, I've heard. I've never <laughs> been, but I've heard only bad things about it. Um, I mean, that goes with it being a football and, a sta- and baseball stadium for a long time. So, obviously, they have stadium question marks, but um, there's a lot more to it than just that in terms of the money it's going to cost and all the – implications in general but it'll be interesting to see over these next few years what happens with the Oakland A's so speaking of teams and relocating the last time the Blue Jays played in Toronto was July or September 29th 2019 an 8-3 win over the Tampa Bay Rays because of COVID they've been playing in Buffalo and Florida they were displaced from Canada Um, but the Canadian government announced that starting July 30th they will allow be allowed to play back at the Rogers Center Capacity early on will be around 15,000, but Justin Trudeau said that um, there will be restrictions. Um, Basically how it's going to look is that unvaccinated players and staff will be not permitted to go anywhere but the hotel and stadium and will have no interaction to the general public. There will also be a designated compliance officer for each team and that anyone who does not follow these restrictions, um, they're going to be in big, big trouble pretty much. Um, As of this month, fully vaccinated players who have valid work permits are no longer required to complete a 14-day quarantine upon entry into Canada, but teams do have players who are not uh, vaccinated. So a quarantine exemption and protocols around that uh, will still need to be improved and finalized. Uh, But given what the Blue Jays have done in the past two years and that that lineup is so young, so exciting, and that they will be fighting for a playoff spot, how big is it for the country, the city of Toronto, but Canada at large, to have their baseball team back, given what the Blue Jays have done since the start of the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, as we've been discussing, they're just – one of the most exciting teams in all of baseball and should be contending for the next several years. But uh, the players were gone far too long, obviously for reasons out of their control, but um, just awesome to have them back in the Rogers center. Um, Obviously not at full capacity to start, but I think I could see the blue Jays having a great second half, partly because of the talent they have, but also I'm sure the large crowds they will get as restrictions ease throughout the second half of the season. The fan base is going to be rabid and, uh, I mean, the city of Toronto in general, but the Rogers Center, that's one I definitely want to check off my list in terms of uh, places to attend a game in the near future. Last week, we talked about Trevor Bauer's, ab- Trevor Bauer's absence being extended. Um, he is now on administrative leave through July 27th. Um, that was extended for at least another two weeks at that point. Uh, but Starlin Castro of the Nationals on Friday was also placed on the administrative list because of an alleged domestic violence incident that occurred in the spring. Uh, the move was made prior to the Nats' first game after the All-Star break. Uh, exact details have not been made public yet. I, I guess my question for you is, uh, you know, me and Bryce take the stance of a lot of this should be pretty zero tolerance when it comes to domestic abuse. I'm sure you agree there. But my main question is, you know, I know it's innocent until proven guilty, but you know, Trevor Bauer has made two plus million dollars not playing because he's being investigated for a major domestic and sexual abuse case. How is that fair to anybody, let alone the justice system? Uh, it isn't. There's really no other way to say it. Um, and I think especially if it does turn out where Trevor ba- Bauer is found guilty of these allegations, it's going to be a bad look for baseball. Um, and there's not really going to be a, a good explanation for it. But it's unfortunate that these stories are continuing to pop up, especially these last couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know when we'll see Trevor Bauer pitch, um, if at all, for the rest of the season. As terrible as this is, given the offseason you guys have, 
is it at least somewhat refreshing to know this had nothing to do with the Mets? Oh, uh, I mean, this it, it's unbelievable. And Rojas has actually asked about this. Someone it was a dumb question, but someone said, "How happy are you to not have signed Trevor Bauer?" And his response, perfectly as I think as best as he could have responded, was, "I'm just really happy we signed Taiwan Walker." Well, unfortunately, you know, had his terrible start yesterday, but he's been unbelievable for the Mets. He was he was an All Star for ten million dollars. It was the move of the off season. Yep, and they have him again for next year. So that was a, one of the better signings of, of the offseason. And, uh, yeah, this worked out well for the Mets. So we'll take it. So speaking of dollars and cents and deals, let's talk about two outfielders that were both offered contracts by their team. Uh, Ken Rosenthal reported that the Twins offered Byron Buxton an extension in excess of the $70 million seven-year extension the Yanks gave Aaron Hicks in 2019. Uh, Buxton, 27, will likely be dealt if he rejects the proposal. Um, here's the thing with Buxton when he's healthy, he's incredible, but he's appeared in only more than 92 games in a season once in 2017, when he played 140. over the past four seasons, he's only played in 38.2% of the twins games this time, uh, this year, his latest stint on the injured list is the 11th of his career. Uh, all that said, it's a former top prospect for the reason, for a reason, 2.7 fan graphs war and only 27 games this season. Uh, but he's a guy who is never healthy. You know, if you were the twins, what would you be offering Buxton knowing that the upside is upside is tantalizing, but at the same time, the best ability is availability. Yeah. I mean, this is actually one of the most interesting player moves that could be coming up in the next, um, you know, 10 days or so it's, you know, it's really hard to gauge how much you think Buxton should make knowing his talent level and potential if he is healthy. But as you were just saying, he has not been healthy. Um, so it's really hard to offer him uh, a big long-term contract. I would say you know, I saw numbers of some similar to, uh, to Hicks's contract with the Yankees a few years ago, which was, I believe, what, $77 million. Um, I think, you know, obviously Buxton, the talent level is higher than Hicks there. So I think something between the 75 and 100, you know, 10 million range would make sense. But it's really hard to offer – him something like that but also I don't know if I'd be looking to trade him right now just because he's injured he's going to be injured at the outside at least August so I don't know how high I mean he still has more than a year of control so maybe they like that in terms of what return they'll get but um you know it'll be I don't see them getting a deal done um so we'll see if he gets traded but I think you know somewhere close to the 100 million dollar mark would make sense but there's a lot of risk involved yeah, they're in a weird spot with him and Barrios. You have young all-star caliber talent that you might be moving. Uh, and the Marlins, they offered Starling Marte a, what my opinion is a pretty offensive extension offer, three years, $30 million. Uh, he obviously declined that. You know, Marte is on the older side, uh, but again, 33 years old. He's in 286, 389, 443 this year across 240 plate appearances. Was a huge part of that Marlins team who made the playoff run last year. To me, this seems like the kind of guy you sign to like a three-year, $50 million deal to be the veteran you help build this team around and help bring those young guys around. Uh, obviously, that's not the case. I'm not surprised Starling Marte balked at this offer. Uh, what are your thoughts on this lowball offer? And now, ultimately, where do you think Starling Marte is going to get traded within the next two weeks? Um, so, yeah, I, I don't I don't know if the Marlins even like what if they expected this to be considered. But, yeah, they, they lowballed Starling Marte. Um, there's really not much else to say about him. So he's a winning baseball player. He's someone you want on your team if you can get him. Um, yeah, so the reports, obviously, the last couple of days have been that this extension is not going to happen, so they will look to trade him. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting because there's so many teams that you don't know if they're going to buy or sell yet. 
if I were the Yankees, I think you got to go out. You got to look at no brainer to me. Look at the outfield that we're starting. Yeah. I mean, obviously, well, I think they have four against the Red Sox starting Thursday. It'll be interesting to see. The Yankees might be a team that really waits as long as they can before they make any moves rather than the Mets. For example, I think they're going to really try and make moves as quick as possible, especially with the injuries they have. The Yankees, you know, I, they're not selling, um, obviously. So I do think Marte is a perfect fit for them. And he, he's a winning baseball player and someone who can really help a team down the stretch, especially with uh, his experience in the past and just his, his skill level still that he uh, shows to this day. And if it's not the Yankees, I like him going to the Giants. That also, uh, that'd be a great fit there uh, as well. I mean, I think he'll be valuable and come be great down the stretch as he was for the Marlins last year with that surprising playoff run. So whoever gets him is getting a great baseball player who will help them a lot uh, come October. So we're talking about the deadline right now. We were talking about the Mets injuries earlier. DeGrom obviously on the injured list right now with right forearm tightness. Uh, but Lindor, 10-day injured list uh, with a right oblique strain. And it sounds like he's going to miss way more than the minimum. Obviously, Lindor hasn't lived up to the expectations. But again, still was in the lineup every day. Switch hitter, gold glove shortstop. If you're the Mets, knowing Lindor might be on an extended period of time, are you calling the Cubs and the Rockies to gauge what it's going to take to get Javi Baez and Trevor Story, knowing that you can then kick one of those over to second or third once Lindor's back? Yeah, I mean, the Mets are, as I was saying, with their injuries, they're going to they're gonna look to make a move soon. They've been heavily linked to Chris Bryant, which obviously makes sense, but I think Baez and Story would be a way better fit just because the Mets do a J.D. Davis, who's you know below average uh, fielder at third base, but he, he, he can flat out hit, and I think a lot of Mets fans forget that. So I think Baez and Story, their versatility would just be perfect, um, especially because you can move them around. Brian does have versatility, especially in the outfield, but there's not really too much room for him with the Mets, and uh, they'd have to bench uh, Dom Smith most likely, which – Dom's, Dom's having a mediocre year, but he's still a good player. So I think Baez, you know, he'd probably take more than Story. But, I mean, it'll be interesting, though. Both, it's hard to know with a rental player, but Baez with his versatility and also his glove, um, it would be fun to watch a Lindor Baez middle of the infield. But I do think Baez and Story would be great fits for them uh, after this injury. A couple odds and ends to wrap up this week's show. Uh, mostly shout-outs at this point. Uh, shout out to Drew Robinson, uh, the 29 year old whose story was told on ESPN. He survived a suicide attempt after making the major leagues. Uh, after two and a half months with the Giants AAA affiliate in Sacramento, uh, he has announced his retirement. He is transitioning um, to a mental health position uh, with the San Francisco Giants. Drew, your story has been incredible, remarkably inspiring. Our hats off to you to make it back to organized professional baseball. Uh, shout out to the Los Angeles Angels who pitched a no hitter in the MLB draft, making 20 picks in the 20 draft round and selecting 20 pitchers. Only other team to do that in a draft was the Miami Marlins a year ago, but that was in a five round draft due to COVID-19. Uh, shout out to the Orioles this week, who during the Orioles Rays game will feature an all female broadcast team, the first in MLB history. That's awesome there. A uh, couple stats related things from July 16th. Uh, this is from Stats by Stats. Vlad Jr., Marcus Simeon, and Teoscar Hernandez all homered for the Blue Jays. The first time in MLB history, three teams started, three players on one team started together in the All-Star game and then homered in the first game after the break. Uh, from James Smythe on July 17th, Robbie Grossman hit a leadoff homer and the Tigers beat the Twins 1-0. It is the 26th time in MLB history, a leadoff home run played at the game's only run. From July 18th, stats by stats, the Cubs used five pitchers today, and all five walked the first batter they faced. The first team in baseball history 
or excuse me, the first team since the uh, Blue Jays in 1980 um, to use five or more pitchers with everyone walking their first batter. From Jeremy Frank, the Rockies have 10 walk-off wins and nine road wins. No team in the last 100 years has finished the season with more walk-offs than road wins. And last but not least, the Yankees' seven, eight, nine hitters last night had seven runs, five hits, two homers, five ribbies, three walks, and two stolen bases. Since RBIs became official in 1920, the only time that only other time that a team had its seven, eight, nine hitters pull up those numbers in a game was on July 17th, 1985, when the Yankees did it against the Rangers. Of all those stats I just rattled off, Jack, which do you think is the craziest? Uh, the one that st- sticks with me and I don't understand it is the Rocky stat, how they – That defies logic. <laughs> it makes no sense. I mean, they are – I mean, they're terrible. I mean, it's, it's tough with, you know, the – the environment they have to play in in Colorado versus the difference on the road. But uh, it makes no sense how they have 10 walk-off wins and only nine wins on the road. Um, it'll be interesting. I don't think they'll get much better at uh, on the road, but you'd, you'd have to think eventually they will surpass their walk-off total with uh, win total on the road. But that one makes no sense to me. God willing, that's the case. Uh, that is all I got for this week's show. Any concluding thoughts or things to watch uh, in the upcoming week ahead? Uh, you know, First of all, thank you again for having me on. This was awesome. Um, I just think it's going to be an unreal week in baseball just to follow along, not not only the games, but there should be a lot of moves by the time we're talking next week. So it'll be interesting to see who goes where, who stays, and uh, which teams decide to buy and sell. I'm going to go with uh, – yeah, totally agree with everything there. Yankee Red Sox this week uh, in Fenway Park. We'll see if the Yankees can keep this momentum going. And also the Olympics start Friday. Baseball's back for the first time since 2004. Uh, and as much as I love America, uh, I got to throw my support between our fellow tribesmen. Go Israel. You've come this far. Bring home the gold. Ian Kensler, bring it home to the Holy Land. Uh, do your thing out there. With Jack Heineman, my name is Chase Midorsky. This is the Underdog Sports Baseball Show. Have a great week. <laughs>